Hello once again. This is Witch Car Weekly, the very best podcast in the world. I'm not going to give it any more of a caveat than that, but that does live, leave an awful lot for, for us to live up to. Uh, my name is Daniel Gardner. Joining me are my usual rabble of friends and colleagues um, to talk about all the hottest topics hitting the automotive calendar and arena from the week. It's been a long week. Associate edit. Oh my God, is it ever? Do I look like it? Do I really bear the scars of a big week? I think we're all feeling a little bit haggard this week. Well, let's hope that doesn't come across too evidently and obviously in our chats today. Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. Buongiorno. Um, We also have another lovely motor employee. I like to call you the online editor of Motor Magazine, Chris Thompson. I like that. Good. Can we change my title officially? Anyone with editor in the title feels your senior journalist editor, aren't you? I, yeah. <laughs> Senior editor, journalist editor, Dan editor. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, Dan I've... editor Gardner. It's actually his middle name. Yes, it has been a big week for us all. And uh, <laughs> while we are bearing scars of it, we're hopefully that means that there's more interesting stuff to talk about. Yes. So, uh, without further ado, let's get straight into it. On today's chat, a poor harvest at Snow Farm, redefining performance, and the automotive world's worst kept secret. Cool. Yeah. And... That's not what we're going to start with. We're going to start with um, a good talk topic from Chris, because you've recently driven the BMW M850i. I did do that. And you Actually, have... Scott also did that. Yeah, we've all, we've all driven the car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been around, it's been around it the office. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. And look, I, I like the car. I'm very fond of it for, for many reasons. But Chris, you have a problem with that car. I like the car. It's a really good Can't car. Come back out now. But... It felt really weird. I was driving a particularly <laughs> sport-oriented Lexus, an RCF track edition. Yeah. A- and Scott was driving the M850i, and we kind of swapped cars for a moment, and I went, the 850i didn't really feel like a sports car to me personally. Right, and that's what we want to talk about here, isn't it? It's just a launching pad. We're yeah. going to use the 850 as a launching pad. Yeah. yeah. We're not, we're not gonna, I wouldn't I'm not it... going to bag the M850i, no. because it's definitely not the only offender of... It won't be our whipping boy today. No, no. That's you, Chris. Oh, God. Oh, no, no, no. That definitely doesn't happen. <laughs> that we doesn't until... happen on air. Yeah, and the microphones are <laughs> off before we start. Um, yeah, so the definition of vehicles. Now, it's not so hard to define vehicles when it comes to size. You know, we often talk about hmm. large SUVs, small passenger vehicles. That's fairly easy. While those categories have inherently grown over the years, you look at the size of a for example, Volkswagen Golf of today. I actually looked at a Mark One Golf earlier in the week, and they are so little. Tiny. So there has been a gradual progression. The sizes have increased. But what is less objective, more subjective, is when it comes to things like sports cars. Mm. And, you know, how do you define what is a sports car? Yeah. or yeah. I mean, you take take a step further out, and we'll, then we'll go back in again. So, so performance cars, like... Yeah. That's a so the M850. That's definitely a performance car. Yes, that's fine. But I mean, 100%. I drove a the, the Panamera Turbo S recently, and you go, well, that's probably a sports car too. But I mean, it's two point three two tons. Oh right, so already yeah. you've thrown in one variable weight. Yes, it does that. Is that part of the definition? Like the Ford Raptor Ranger, the Ford Ranger Raptor. Sorry, is I knew a you would bring this up Ford performance <laughs> product. So yeah. you go, oh, it's a performance car, but it's it does like zero to one hundred in like eleven seconds. It's so it's very murky. It's getting murkier. I think you know the rise of the performance SUV. Like, is an X3 M40i a performance car? Or is it just a sort of semi-sporty SUV? Um, it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder, perhaps. Um, sports car's probably a little bit easier. Is um, it? How so? I 
would personally just say that a sports car is a car that was designed with driving in mind the whole way through. Like yes. Could have taken the word straight out of my mouth. Basically. Oh, okay. Good. Well, then why? I didn't, though. Uh, <laughs> why, then, isn't the M850i a sports car? Ooh. Because okay. it has... It's... Because part of its remit is surely to cosset it. And... Why, why are you fighting his battles? I've had him on the spot then. It's... And he was... Oh, it, I knew he was stuffed. No, it's. <laughs> I think when when you get into he it, and then you when you get into it, okay, it maybe not designed with driving as its intended purpose all the way through because you could intend to do something and completely stuff it up. Not that BMW did with this car, but it doesn't feel. It's it's sort of where you get into it and you're like, oh, this is very big and comfortable, and then you're driving it around twisty roads and going, oh, this is very big though. Like it's. Mm. It, it, for, for like for, for saying, I think for me the definition of a sports car would be one that its primary purpose is to provide driving enjoyment to an enthusiast. Yes. So we're thinking Cayman, we're thinking Alpine, Alpine for Thank you. some of us present. Yes, uh, <laughs> MX5 is yeah, the classic MX5, one. Yeah, MX5, all British cars Whereas that it draws M- from. M850 driving enjoyment is one of the criteria of its development but also to provide a luxury experience to provide grand touring to provide you know a symbol of of wealth or opulence perhaps rather than yes. you know if you had a pie chart who doesn't love a pie chart oh you know driving in, is not in an in an alpine it might be 75 25 driving enjoyment versus say commuting whereas the 850 I'd argue is maybe less than 40 50. yeah 40% driving yeah. enjoyment 30% Touring and thirty percent luxury, something it's like a grand that. Tourer. Does that make sense? It does. But then, so the question is, whose responsibility is it to define and label these cars? Is it the manufacturer? Is it ours. the consumer? Or is it ours? It's yeah, literally yeah. our job. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> who gave us the authority? You can't trust. No, you can't trust the manufacturers because they'll say like a BMW you know, calls its small SUVs sports activity yeah, groups. And BMW you know. also says the all new six series when it got new colours and headlights. Yes, they that is true. all new. So yes, you're right. We there are other can't... manufacturers aside from BMW yeah. that do this. We just keep going back to the they would, they, Okay, so it's not the M850. It is BMW that is the whipping boy today. We don't we're totally just taking it all out on it. <laughs> Apologies, BMW. No, you're definitely not the worst offender. But no, it's there's just some. But you see, you can't trust the manufacturers because they'll tell you that black is white and white is black if it suits their needs. All right, then. So move the question on. Then, who cares? Is it just us that cares about whether a sports car is a sports car? Or, or for that matter, go back to what I was talking about before. Do, is it just us that cares that it's a small SUV? Because we complain about the Mitsubishi ASX all the time because that's quite big now, but they still refer to it as sort of the compact small end. Even yes. So do, does it, who, who cares? And ultimately, does the consumer care? Because that's who we really should be worrying no, about. No, I don't think so, because no one's going... Right, it was a rubbish topic then. I think they should. <laughs> I think they should care. I think they would care if they knew more about what manufacturers would do it because I don't think anyone goes out to buy I want a sports car they might want they might want what a sports car represents yes mm. but I don't think that's probably why they've got the rise of performance SUVs because they want what a sports car represents performance pace driving dynamics but they don't want to necessarily make the compromises inherent in a true sports car which is why the world's going to hell in a handbasket oh, God, I love Ooh. you Scotty you're just great you know what I mean just mm. brilliant okay. Um, okay well let's move let's move on to the next thing then sports car uh, what about supercar? What is a supercar That's these tricky. days? That's tricky. Well, it is, because, again, this earlier this week, I was looking, I didn't get to drive, but I was looking at a Lamborghini Diablo, uh, which is one of the most wonderfully knee-weakening cars in the world. Mm. And it used to be a really fast car. And by a lot of people's standards, it still is. But it's it's not a supercar fast car anymore. But at the, like, no. Well, that's just because... It- 
you know, it's old now. Yeah, so... The, the trouble is McLaren, because they're... I would call, and you haven't driven a McLaren, you, know, you would call a 570S a supercar. Yeah. But it's not by McLaren. It's, it's, a, super, it's a sports car. A so sports we shouldn't car. listen to the manufacturers, is what you're saying. Well, exactly. Once again, so, we're back, back to but, that. And equally, like the Ferrari 812, I would call that a supercar, having driven it. Like, it's it does all the supercar thing, but it, technically, it's a GT. Um, so I think... I think maybe for again for me like a supercar to get the supercar tag I think you need maybe a bit of intimidation factor it's a sports car that Ooh. is just more capable and faster like the Mura is still a or the Countach is, is a slow car like a hat, hot hatch would be a Countach these days yeah but you'd still call a Countach a supercar because it has that element of it has yeah. ex, it's yeah. exotic it has glamour it has a bit of intimidation factor to and it and it's, it's a pain in the ass to live yeah. with yeah so that is definitely something a supercar has to do it has yes. to be annoying yes yeah Right. All right, one more. Which is why the Aventador is probably still the definitive supercar. And one of, of, if not my, the best car I've ever driven. I was hanging out with someone on Monday who has an SVJ. Right, well, you can't be friends with them anymore. And you know what? He doesn't like it because it's a pain to live with. Oh, well, why (laughs) why did you buy it then? Because it's got crappy seats in it that are really uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay, so he bought a car without feeling a seat. Yeah. Well, he's an idiot then. Well, I don't think he'd agree with that assessment, that withering character assessment. <laughs> you bought a car without effectively driving it or sitting in it even long enough to know that the seats were uncomfortable? Incorrect. That is the definition of an idiot. <laughs> we've, at least we've defined one word today, well, yeah. the word idiot. I'm glad he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> one more word then, hypercar. What's that? That's, oh, a new, that's, that's a new word. That's a media term, really, isn't it? Because well, we are the media. Yes, I know. It's all our fault. What have we done? Everything, everything has been our fault. Well, I think it's because I think realization we're all terrible. <laughs> the hypercar tag came out, I think, at, around the time of Carrera GT, Enzo, you know, SLR McLaren, especially Veyron. Yes. Mm. When you had this traditional supercar tier, so let's go back to the when the Veyron came out. You'd had 360s Modena, Gallardo. You'd go, oh yeah, supercars, cool. But then the Veyron came out and was so far beyond in terms of performance, price, power, mm. anything we'd seen before, you kind of needed to have a new tag, a new name for it, and we just called it a hypercar. I don't know who came up with it first, but yeah, hypercar. But you see, yeah, I think that is one, of all the terms we've raised, that's the one that needs to be killed because there's no such thing as a hypercar. The supercar is still the supercar. Yeah, It's the just its performance just moved, envelope has yeah. moved on. Yeah. And in the same way that we, we still call a Golf R a hot hatch, we don't yes. call it a mega hatch because it's so much faster <laughs> An than... An uber hatch. Yeah. It's still super a, hatch it's, has become a thing, though. Well, that needs to be bludgeoned to death as well. Hyper hatch. A45. Hyper hatch is quite nice. Let's coin that. Okay. Okay. Well, that, A45S that... can be the first hyper hatch. All right. Before it's we... better than warm hatch. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. That just sounds like... That sounds like something you do <laughs> in, your, in your undies. <laughs> <laughs> be right back. Just going for a warm hatch. Oh... <laughs> Oh my god, wonderful. Before we leave this one well alone, because that is about the time we have to, as soon as we start talking about warm hatches in your DAX, um, you used a term before which is performance car. And I've always had a problem with that expression. Mm -hmm. Because performance, without the context of high performance, just means it does its job. It performs something well. So the Raptor goes off road. I've always been an advocate for high performance car. But even so, like, if something is truly luxurious, surely it is. Performing its luxury role at a high level, it's a high. It's performing at high high performance. Yeah, fast cars. How about we just go fast cars, luxury cars, 
Yeah, maybe we just need to calm the just, F down. Just no hypercars. <laughs> That's what it is. Hyper- no, hyper- definitely hypercars. You did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice talk topic, Chris. Oh, Thank you're you. Welcome. I just wanted to start an argument, and I did it. So that is well, <laughs> job done, and the essence of a great podcast. Um, let's move on now because uh, last speaking week speaking of sports cars speaking of sports cars last week uh, we very cars. quickly mentioned we only had <laughs> seconds to talk about it um, a very special new cor- Corvette uh, and then we legged it out of the studio now we're going to give it it's time to talk over to you Scotty yeah so well I need to say and I've already apologised to a couple of people in person because I always thought that there was absolutely no chance that the Chevrolet Corvette was coming to Australia I didn't see how it would work I didn't mm. see how the numbers would Stack up, and I was 100% dead wrong. The new Chevrolet C8 Corvette is coming to Australia, and there are a couple of journos, they know who they are, who have been banging on about this for like two years, and they were spot on. Right. I don't know if they knew they were spot on. I think they probably did. That's why they reported it. But it's... <laughs> Isn't yeah. that what you do? Yeah. So um, <laughs> so we were all set for the reveal last, last week, uh, which all went off in a big... You know, it was like a 50-minute presentation with astronauts and space, some tenuous links. But anyway, um, (laughs) and then at the end, the the press release dropped, coming to Australia via Holden. Yeah, there you go. So they've got their flagship V8 sports car. Um, There's a lot to talk about with the C8 Corvette. Shall we start with, can a mid-engine car be a Corvette? Uh, Why? Why not? Just going to put another question back on you rather than yeah, actually okay. taking well, responsibility yeah. for the original <laughs> Good answer. question. Yeah. Back to you, Scott. Yeah, okay. That'd be great in PR, wouldn't it? Wow, that's, that is like a ping pong match. Um, Can I jump in? Yeah, Chris. I'll well. deflect it now to Chris. <laughs> now he's fighting your battles. Yes. Oh. Duntov. Uh, and I'm going to I'm gonna forget how to pronounce his first name. It's Zor- Zora? Zora. Zora. Zora Antov? No, Zora Ant something. Zora Dun- somebody. Duntov. Yeah. The the man who is credited as the father of the Corvette, despite not actually oh, yes. having designed it, yeah. uh, he had basically been pushing for a mid-engine Corvette since hmm. the sixties. There's, you know, Chevrolet has about a billion. That's the irony, isn't it? It's, it's, it was always prototypes. intended to be mid-engined, hmm. and it just took them sixty years to do it. So arguably, <laughs> this is the first Corvette. <laughs> yeah, this is the first Corvette. It's the Corvette they always wanted to build. Yeah, he, this right. is the one he wanted. So that's very exciting. Yeah. But I mean, in, in our lifetime, you see a Corvette. A Corvette has always been a sort of you know, front engine, V8 powered, mm. rear wheel drive. Um, like a Camaro. Yeah, like a, mus- like a kind of a, a sporty well, muscle car. But that's, Chris makes an excellent yes. point. Yeah. There, is that why we've had two cars that effectively do the same job for decades. One mm. does, yeah. One's, you know, supposed to be the higher tier car, but, but with now it's the really decline obvious. of people spending massive amounts of money. Well, not massive amounts of money, but the decline of big number sports car sales. Mm. Yeah. It quick makes back- sense to diversify. Yeah, the quick background to why there is a mid-engine... So the mid-engine Corvette was meant to be the C7. Uh, the program was well underway, develop- development was well underway, sort of mm. 2006, 2007, and then the GFC killed it. They had to, to eke another generation out of the C6 platform, which became then the C7, and they revived the C- the mid-engine one for C8. Um, now the world's a bit healthier, probably before it's about to go into another recession. But anyway... Um, <laughs> So, financial but yeah. advice from this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so dangerous, <laughs> dangerous. But anyway, um, uh, something. About I initially I had reservations about a mid-engine Corvette. <laughs> Having seen it, I think yeah, it's cool. Um, it's a bit strange that they were so clearly needed to get two golf bags in it. 
in the boot still. <laughs> it's very Because funny. it's like the... Seriously, yeah. who gives? Well, Corvette customers do. You need to fit two golf club, set of golf clubs in a Corvette. It's they just did what it you need to the do. Launch. Yeah. They did it on stage at the launch. Yep. <laughs> wow. It's what, what they need. So, you know, up, up there they had V8, V8 power, tick, class-leading dynamics, tick, two golf clubs. Two golf bags. bags. <laughs> yeah, two golf clubs wouldn't be much. That's not great. Wouldn't be much, would it? But um, do, do, do you like it? Do we like it? Yes. Looks good. No? Yes? I kind of want to, I want to, you know, do my usual devil's advocate thing. But yeah, it's bloody gorgeous. Isn't Looks it? all right, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. The price is a bit contentious, though, because they finished the uh, press conference with saying, and it's going to start at under $60,000. Oh, sorry. We've just welcomed uh, American Scott. Into yeah, the, sorry. Uh, it's probably very poor. That was good. Actually, actually, isn't that? Oh, yeah. Wilson. It's like there was someone um, else. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, um, it's <laughs> amazing. And that got everybody, <laughs> they might have made a rod for, rod for their own back a little bit, because I'm sure in the US, a very base one with virtually nothing on it will cost fifty nine 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 five. Yeah, but no one wants that one. The one that comes here is, A, probably not likely to be very, very base, because Australians like lots Generally, of toys. yep. Uh, like hopefully we will have the Z51 performance package as standard, hopefully, which brings all sorts of things, shorter drive, proper exhaust, more power, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then you can probably add, I don't know, 10 grand onto that exchange rates, blah, 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 blah. I think I personally, I think it'll probably land about 150. Mr. Inwood thinks it'll land, sorry to drop, speak for you, Mr. Inwood, but, um, about 200, which seems a bit exy. Alex Inwood is the editor of Wheels mm. Magazine. I mean, ZL1 Camaro is a good indicator because I think that's about 65 US. And for by the time HSV needs to do all it, its stuff, A, convert it, which Holden won't need to do, and B, low volume, all that sort of stuff, that's 160. So that right. suggests that the Corvette will come in under that. I, and do we think that's a reasonable price? I think so. I think if it's sort of Cayman S money, that's mm. a pretty... That's a pretty appealing proposition to have a 500 horsepower mid-engine V8, and that's car. that's the thing for me. Absolutely, is that suddenly, and I don't know if I'm just being stupid because I'm what I normally am. Um, a mid-engine car is worth more to me. Suddenly, yes. as soon as you say the engine's in the middle, yes, that is it's more has, exotic. Of course, it is. It has yes. an incredible amount of kudos, and whether it actually does the job better than if the engine was in the nose or the tail, it doesn't really matter. Mm. It's it's there, and you can say oh, mid-engine. Look at that. Mm. You can hear it rumbling right behind you when you're driving it. Absolutely, and that's that for me is worth a significant amount of extra cash. Yeah, and the, the, the other loaded. thing is, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is the switch to the mid-engine means there will be much much faster versions coming. There's a yeah. there's the rumor that the fast one, supercharged one, or twin turbo one, whichever they go for, will yeah. be actually called Zora after the yes. initial founder. Mr. But, um, and then we'll get the mark of Zora. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> the god. Mark. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> have a big Antonio Z badge Banderas on will be at the reveal. Yeah. It'll be great. Um, so <laughs> apparently, yeah, they're going to make it like a Z06 apparently, and then there's going to be a hybrid one, which I presume will be the, new, the next ZR1 will be hybrid, 1,000 horsepower, which and assume, presumably it'll come to Australia. But here's the best thing about that car is that everyone will be going berserk for... Well, everyone going all around the world is going berserk for it. But yes. the Americans will be hoisting their flags and they'll be slapping their thighs and doing a... American what, things? American things. Yes. But it's Australian, isn't it? We all know that car Yes, Australian. good. Good segue, Dan. Why is it Australian? Because, Tell the people. Because years ago, uh, there was a cheeky little version of the VF Ute mm-hmm. Commodore testing in their proving grounds 
um, that looked a little bit different. And that car was a mule to test the potential and the layout for the mid-engined drivetrain, which is now in the C8. Yes. So that car started in Australia. And it doesn't matter how American it is, it's got jolly good old blue Australian blood. That sounded more English than Australian, but... <laughs> jolly good. <laughs> yeah, you can you can go yee-haw you like as an Australian car. Yeah. It, well, it's a good thing we weren't running GM product development because we would have just built the prototype and gone sweet put it on sale <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, I was say, I'm more excited about that nobody, than the nobody except like 15 Australian motoring journalists would have actually bought the thing but... <laughs> and it probably would have been $350,000 mm. instead oh, yeah because <laughs> unit cost brings down the yeah, yeah yeah absolutely wouldn't that have been a wonderful thing though hey oh what a what a job driving around in a mid-engined wide-tracked VF ute Basically, yeah, a, a ute yeah. that they dumped a, a really potent V8 in the back. Just they should have left the one in the front as well. Have what? a <laughs> twin-engined <laughs> VF ute. Yeah. <laughs> wow, the world's first three and a half ton Corvette. <laughs> um, what was I going to say then? What happened to that car? Does anyone know what happened to the mule? Still, it's still apparent. around. Yep. Uh, Where GM? If you it'll be in GM proving it'll be. I remember we had that uh, discussion a few weeks ago about yeah prototypes and stuff. It'll live the same. I hope. It'll probably it's probably due for the crusher. Mm. Oh no. As most prototypes are, but hopefully they keep it on and just... Because that one like yeah, the the prototypes that end up in the crusher are the, are the you know, the ones that are a bit fugly. Yeah. And it was although it was kininda cool in its way it was a bit of a Frankenstein. It's, yeah, it looks it's a bit of a cool, but not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like kill it before it breeds, kind of thing. But also, no, allow it to breed because no, then, with no, you know, yeah. a bit of evolution, a bit of selective breeding, could have the a ute comes one. back. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, once again, we've solved the world's car problem. That's right. GM, call me. <laughs> I want to drive that ute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Story on that coming. Um, yeah. Now, earlier this week, I was in a different country. That country was New Zealand. Yeah, good uh, on you. You're having really a terrible a time, country. weren't you? It was the South <laughs> Island. Yeah, I know. Actually, I liked your comment on my Instagram post. But I was uh, at the top of a mountain uh, on the South Island near Queenstown to drive some Volkswagen 4Motion, which is their four-wheel drive versions of, of passenger cars, um, in the snow, which is great. Uh, no, the reason the reason Volkswagen wanted this to happen is because they don't feel that people will understand just how many of their vehicles are available with their 4Motion system. Do you want to know how many are available? Tell me, Dan. All but the Polo. Every Volkswagen passenger car you can buy on market is available with 4Motion, except for the Polo. Why not the Polo? Uh, That's a great question, and wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) All-wheel drive Polo. Yeah. Yes, it would. Uh, No, it was great. I don't really want to... Sorry, to 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 interject, they do actually sell it, because you can go and buy a Polo VW Polo R5. Oh, so okay. I mean, it's not can road register to work, though. Well, it is. It's a rally car. You can road, road register. Yeah, all right. Okay, with special dispensation. I don't know. Think it's, prob- it's probably not their Howdex four motion system. But. <laughs> no, okay, that's actually a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So good. You can buy a four drive version of every one. Yep. Um, it was great fun. Obviously, driving four drive vehicles in the snow and ice. I is- saw Scandinavian flicks were done. Oh, I, well, that's the thing with all drivers. You will know very well, Scotty, better than most. Is that. The, the flick is everything to yeah. get an all-wheel drive to oversteer. Especially with those front-bias systems. Yes. We, uh, they do have both. So there's Haldex in most of the cars, but then it's also um, Torsen in the larger things. Oh, okay. So, so the, the Touareg is Torsen. And okay, so that would probably... Would, did that oversteer better? Boy, did it ever. And because it oh. weighs a billion tonnes, once it's gone, 
you just remain sideways you for the need rest a, of your life. You need a snow phone. <laughs> you're still sideways. Yeah. still going sideways exactly. in Queenstown I actually, I on its door, way to Dunedin. Pop the door, hopped out sideways, obviously, yeah. and it yeah. just disappeared off into the distance. Yeah. No one's ever seen it <laughs> With your poor instructor still sailing off the edge of the No, that was one of the glorious things about this. We didn't have instructors. Oh, it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. I'm sorry to ruin your day. The reason I want to talk about this is because um, driving around on snow sideways all day is great fun. But you do feel, after a day doing that, a little bit better prepared for the unexpected yes. on the road. And there were lots of different participants on this on this uh, event, most of them motor journalists, but there are a few people there who were less experienced. And you could see this genuine sense of um, apprehension getting into the cars and looking at what they were about to do. And at the end of the day, they looked really happy getting a car utterly sideways mm. in a controlled environment. How could they not? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but my point is, is that why shouldn't every licence owner be forced to do that? Instantly? Oh, 100%. I mean, a couple of weeks weekends ago, I did second level of um, Drift Cadet, so Drift School. Oh, yes! Um, and, like, level one is basically... I just think it sounds really simple. You're all in first gear, and you go... Ugh. But it's amazing <laughs> how many mistakes you make mm. trying to control a car in first gear. So then if, it, if you hit ice at... 70, 80, exactly. like you're on a road. It's, you know, it shows how quickly things can go wrong and how ill-prepared most people, and you know, all of us to a certain extent, are in dealing with that. Um, you know, ESC, and ESC can only do so much, especially if, yeah. you know, you hit ice or something like that. So, I mean, absolutely. And the, the, the biggest load of tosh is the people that go, oh, we've done studies and it breeds more confidence and allows people to take bigger risks. Like, what utter rubbish. Absolute bollocks. Like, I'm not going to get on a plane with a trained pilot because you'll be more confident in flying it than yeah. <laughs> one that's never flown before. <laughs> exactly right. Like, and what yeah. other element of life is someone having more knowledge and more experience and more confidence a bad thing? Yes, exactly right. And this is exactly what these kind of courses do, is they just impart... And the wonderful thing about snow and ice is it all happens at very low speed. Mm. So there's, there is... Obviously, that reduces the fear element, reduces the consequences of a, of a cock-up. Mm. Um, and then it's scalable. So you can, from there, like yeah. you say, you're going through these various stages of drift school. Mm. You just keep up in... A, and that's where you start to become a genuinely good and experienced driver. you start to driver. send it. Yeah. So what, once again, what? <laughs> Yo. Yeah. That's then I get home and I just let the tires down in my car and just yeah. go out. But in that's the, wet. the thing. You, you, you know, you spent the. Did you come home and then suddenly try and Scandinavian flick your way onto the Monash freeway? Yeah. Oh no, well, okay. No, so that was a bad no. example then. No, I, no, I, no. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But, but what it does is it has just somewhere in my mind, as everyone who do mm. these advanced driving courses. The way to respond and react when the unexpected yeah. happens is in there somewhere. That's right. And you're better prepared. Yep. So this should totally be an element of the Australian... Well, in- Once again, we've solved the problems of the nation. We always do. But anyway, look, there's, there is a, there's a, a darker story. Well, yes, you actually had snow, just... Yeah, and that's, that's really the most concerning thing about this, is mm. that um, we had to get up at an ungodly hour of the morning and be ready to go at six in the morning. I know that doesn't sound too bad, but bear in mind that New Zealand has a time difference. So in my feeble mind, it was telling me it was four in the morning that we had to be ready to go. That is the dark part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fine. The Press end. F for Dan. Yeah. No, so we were up there uh, just as the sun was rising, which in fairness was utterly beautiful. Like being up at that time of the day on a completely still morning with fresh snow. And, in Queenstown. Yeah, it yeah. just was stunning. But anyway. It's okay it was, there. <laughs> the reason we had to be up so early is because... As soon as the sun came up and was, you know, had any sort of potency in its rays, 
the snow was and ice was melting. Mm. And you're like, well, yeah, duh. That's what happens every time the snow the sun comes out. But the problem is, is that in the ten years that Snow Farm, the the venue where this was happening, has been running and doing advanced driver courses, developing tires, developing vehicles in the winter. They've never had a worse year for snow. Mm. And they said it's not just a one-off. It's been slowly going that way. Yep. How chilling, no pun in, or irony <laughs> intended, mm. is that that in just 10 years, they have seen a marked difference in the amount of snow that's happening and how long it's hanging around. And so we had to wind everything up by midday because if you go through that you know, hard-packed bit of ice, it takes months to recover. Yeah, and right. This is this is a problem. In the same week, we have European temperatures going through the roof, records being broken all over the place, and just yesterday, evidence out to say that any climate skeptic, climate skeptic out there, um, the Earth is warming up at a faster rate in any time in the last two thousand years. Indisputable mm-hmm. evidence, peer-reviewed evidence from scientists, and one of the mo- best comments I heard from the radio piece was, um, "There's no such thing as climate skeptics, just idiots." Well, we've defined an idiot. For the second time, <laughs> this podcast. They've all got SVJs with uncomfortable seats really, as well. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't yes. intentional. Yeah, yeah. So, it, but then, how's this for yet another irony? We're st- stood there tearing around in Well, I was thinking about that, cars. yeah. I was yeah. Thinking, <laughs> yes. How dreadful is this as we drift around tearing up snow in, yeah. I mean, the, the only redeemable thing to say about that is... At least we... Oh, uh, no, Scott, you can't say that. <laughs> Go for it. This Actually, is, no. This is not? Rich Car Weekly. You can say whatever you want. Yes, it's the, it's yeah. the irreverent At least VW oh, okay. has never done anything mm. to uh, make worse than the world's emissions. <laughs> Whoops. You can edit that bit out yourself, yeah. Scotty. But in their defence, I will say that yes. I feel we are moving on. We, from you that know, era. They, they've paid their, you know, they've paid their penance. So. And and what we have to look forward to is the range of ID vehicles, which of course is Volkswagen's. Uh, Topic fully... for another time, but that ID3 looks really funky. That looks really How cool, that car. Cool is it? Yeah. I've only no. ever seen camouflage prototypes. It still looks cool. And here's one nice thing to finish on then. Um, you know why it's called the ID3? Most, most operatively the 3 in there. Do you know why it's in there? No. I only found this out recently. The 3 represents the third significant vehicle in Volkswagen's entire history. So the Beetle first one Golf was the Beetle, ID3. Yeah, Beetle yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there they, you go. So they have such expectations for this vehicle and think it's so important that it is the successor to it's the, the Beetle next and the Golf. Volkswagen. It is the next people's car. Yes. And just to finish off, because I know we're running out of time, <laughs> but that's a very important car, for not only for VW, but uh, everything. Everyone is going to use that platform, the MEB platform. Yeah. Ford's yes. going to use it. It's going to go under probably, I don't know, like 40% of the world's cars or something. So yeah. that's a very, very important vehicle and, and a big money spinner for VW. And VW obviously are the masters of scalable and modular mm. platforms. It will do everything. They've got 17 brands under their banner. Mm. <laughs> and that's great because it gives us more stuff to talk about yeah. in future episodes of Which Car Weekly. Yeah. This one in particular has come to an end. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you. No worries. And we will chat to you all again in just seven days. Thank you very much.